You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. And before we get into this conversation with one of my all-time favourite comedians and arguably the comic who had the most influence on me even wanting to be a comedian in the first place, Mr Simon Munnery. Before we get there, just time to remind you that we have now officially launched Everyone's a Comedian. The date is going to be the 14th of August. That's a Monday, 14th of August at 7.30pm. There's no tickets. It's completely free. We've no idea if no one will show up or if it'll be rammed. So maybe get there early just in case. Uh, And it is at Subway, formerly Movement on Cowgate. That's on the 14th of August. Everyone's a Comedian is, of course, the entirely new, possibly world-first, crowdsourced hour of comedy where you, all of the those of you listening to this who aren't uh, performers in any way, um, if you've just done one open mic, that's it. You're out of the running, I'm afraid. Uh, this is about giving a voice to people, you, you, the vast majority of you listening to this, who have never performed, have no intention of performing comedy, um, but still every so often think of a funny thing and have always wondered whether it would work on stage. You can submit that at comedianscomedian.com forward slash experiment. Daryl, hashtag thanks Daryl, will uh, collate all of them and I will be handed them in some sort of order uh, five minutes before I go on. I think five minutes seems fair, then it'll be more of a crisis. Uh, and I attempt to wield your work into a stunning hour of stand-up comedy. So that is officially launched there and you can submit your stuff at comedianscomedian.com forward slash experiment. There's some terms and conditions on there as well. Now, this is Simon Munnery. He is a comic who has had the most influence on my decision to become a comedian. I used to go and see his shows maybe three or four, two or three times a year, certainly, at the Edinburgh Festival um, many, many years ago and, uh, and to this day. And he is just, he's the person who you most hear me talk about on this show whenever I want to give examples of wording. His is one of the jokes I most frequently use socially to explain how comedy works, that something needs to be surprising yet satisfying. His walking down the road joke, we talk about that a little bit. And he is completely at home, whether building a confusing and highly innovative prop that only lasts a few shows, or singing the works of Soren Kierkegaard, or just coming up with some of the most befuddlingly complex and beautifully simple and elegant comedy writing I've ever heard. This is Simon Munnery. Did you do your first ever gig at the Tunnel Club? 
No, but I used to do um, open spots at the tunnel. I did gigs at the, at the tunnel, but I'd done open spots at the tunnel. And so. that, you <laughs> seem to me to be a, a quintessentially tunnel club performer in as much as my understanding of the tunnel club. I mean, I know there were also lots of, I mean, lunatics. Do you know what I mean? It was quite, yeah. it was sort of well known for people having a go and then people who were actually good or had the prospect of becoming good and the audience being a monster of, that would it, intentionally enjoy devouring the, the acts. Fo- yes, the focus was, in, was much more on the audience than any traditional club. It was yes. like, uh, well, well, what you couldn't do was go down there and trot out your act. So some really good acts, who had a really polished, nice act, I won't name them, but um, would go down and they, they would have real trouble. Uh, and some you know, insane people went really well. I mean, actually, probably genuinely insane. And Malcolm liked, I think, getting people who were genuinely insane. I mean, he brought in people borderline insane anyway, certainly Chris Luby, RIP. Yes, um, yes. That, that sort of, he liked odd people. He, he, was, he was great over Chris Luby used to do the impressions of uh, different airplanes. and aeroplanes, yeah. yeah. Helped the RAF. Uh, did gig once with him. Uh, uh, anyway, his wife was Indian. That meant he was entitled to an Indian accent when you're having a curry. It's just the most awkward, embarrassing <laughs> bloke to be having a curry with. But anyway, God bless them all. But um, yeah, the tunnel was. The, 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 I was there once, and they heckled off just as a you know just to see it because it was such a thing to see. It was like uh, you know like a bear pit or you know Christians versus lions sort of atmosphere. Um, they'd heckled off all the acts. Uh, within about half an hour so the evening was over within half an hour and any other club that would be like well it's a bit of a disaster <laughs> there it was like a, it was victory to the <laughs> so but the thing about it was if they if they liked you they liked you you know with no sort of history to it you go oh it's, it's him back again you, it was if you survived the heck if you cope with what they were going to throw at you on that night yeah uh, they you know they, 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 they would love something or hate it Tending towards the hate. <laughs> and did you always... Did you go well there? I had got... Yeah, I've gone well there. But I've also... I mean, the only recorded footage, I think, of anyone at the Tunnel Club is me dying on my own. I think I've seen that, <laughs> yeah. actually. Yeah. Again, Cab for Simon Munnery. I'll pay. Pass that round. Uh, but that, that particular... It was one of the first times I did Alan Parker at Moria. Um, very early on. But he introduced me... Because I'd be doing Simon Munnery as the security guard, I think. I was yes. before that. And Malcolm introduced me as Simon Munnery, Urban Warrior, and that sort of threw me a bit. Anyway, so I did it not very well, or you know. But anyway, that, that character, you know, one in three times would die towards at the beginning. You know, and people take it seriously. They come up and go, "Oh, I don't think teachers should be equated with police. They don't earn nearly as much." And like, okay, <laughs> it's a character. Oh, never mind. But you know, perhaps I wasn't acting it that well. Or, Anyway, or it became clearer as time passed. And this, the spirit of that gig, which is kind of... I mean, the, people have tried to sort of replicate elements of that. I think of something like the Alternative Comedy Memorial Society, yeah. which is sort of like, a, you know, it's about trying things and failure and the rest of it. But it doesn't have that... It's not... We can't call that an attempt to replicate the Tunnel Club. But I think it does feel in comedy's history in this country like a unique environment. Yeah, and I, I suppose I I think of you as someone who was kind of uh, created as a comedian in in that crucible yes. of that environment. Is that I, fair? I'd agree. No, I, it was, it was to, to me the the trick to it is clock up the hours, like just do as many gigs as you can. Never mind courses or I mean, yeah, sure, think about it, whatever. But actually, it's what you can by clocking up the hours and take the toughest gigs you can. In a way, grow a what? Who is it who said to me? Um, 
oh, Tina Fey no uh, oh, magician transsexual magician Faye Presto Faye Presto you yes. should drive around in a skip he uh, <laughs> said the best thing about this job you can die and then do it all again the next day <laughs> which is, is true you know, it's underestimated the value of dying you know just to go through that experience of it go, just shit right? do, do you did you get better at dying do you think over the course not just at the tunnel club but generally does it once you've been through that enough times does I, I suppose I would imagine for someone who has done the uh, more experimental unusual less not less crowd pleasing I think you know you're obviously very good you make audiences very happy a lot of the time but less less kind of um, you don't make compromises towards what they want I would imagine from the outside as a much more I guess a more kind of mainstream you know it's important to me to please them in a way that I wish I could shake off you know one of those sort of acts the more you die do you get better at dying do you get better at coping with it does it feel any less horrible the hundredth time than it does the tenth time or the five hundredth time five hundredth time I've I've got that book for Sunday (laughs) (laughs) no I think it's always the the terror's always there but it's it's something uh, you know that's that's kind of the hook to it you know that you could die in a way the worst is when you, you know what happens is as a comedian after many years you've got a back pocket full of stuff you can punch your way out of any gig just by doing a load of jokes and get off and then, then you feel it's, it's better to die a, a noble death you know and as she says you do it all again the next day uh, to, to take a you've got to put something in it for yourself you've got to take some risk and then uh, pay the consequences and yeah it won't go well I mean, uh, there, are, so there are two deaths in particular that I think of, of of my own one of them mercifully a long time ago one of them horribly recent right. where I, th- I think they'll be part of me forever yeah. so they'll, they'll live in my heart forever I wonder whether your your enjoyment when, is it, when does your enjoyment come on stage if you say that part of you has that kind of like it's not just the joy of making an audience laugh. And in fact, from, from, I sort of glean from what you said earlier a moment ago that there is a sort of maverick streak that almost... It's not as good if you can punch your way out every time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not as satisfying if you're not throwing yourself into real danger. The, the best feeling is to try something that you found funny in the day or just thought about at the moment, to try something and it works. And wow, that is... Uh, uh, jokes have a sort of rhythm, I think, which is the first time you do it, it goes much better than you expected, and it's an utter joy. The second time, it goes much worse than you expected because you remember how well it went the next time. Anyway, it kind of levels out and becomes a thing, and then you maybe you hone it a bit, and uh, and then it, you've done it so much you can't do it anymore. And it, but then you leave it in your back pocket for ten years, and it's been fallow, and you come back to go, oh, that's quite good actually. I can I can still do that. You know, so they have their own history. But the best thing is to create something at the moment, or have thought of it that day or a week ago, and try it out because that the whole kind of to me what it is is a research project into what what do I find funny that other people find funny it's all about it's about sharing I mean I might find something funny but if it's just me then then it doesn't count for much it's whether whether other people laugh at it and the magic when an audience laughs as one at a thing that you didn't know they would is is beautiful is that research project as you put it is that more important to you than uh, an idea of success or career or kind of goal fulfilment 
I wish I was richer, um, but actually, no, I'm very lucky to have got away with it this long, doing something I love. But, you know, I, I wish I earned more, but, you know, that doesn't help. My wife wishes I earn more. My children wish I earn more. The dog's happy with me. <laughs> He's on my side. Does it matter? Um, but you mean career-wise? I mean, you know, I uh, what happens happens. You sort of. Um, I don't worry about that day to day. Well, this present moment, I think, what the hell am I going to do on Sunday? I'm like that awkward for me. Yes. First preview is throw it all away and just start chucking stuff up a flagpole and, and so it's, it's going to be a mess the stuff that you're chucking up the flagpole on Sunday nothing. night no, really no, nothing. nothing really well, nothing I've got, I've got notebooks full of notes look through it and go well, that's an interesting verse and that's uh, here's a diagram for a thing <laughs> like, yeah. oh, something will come of it do you do you have faith now after I mean thirty years? Yeah, thirty this years. Is comic. Yeah. Do you have faith now that something will come of it, or does it? Does the idea of Sunday night scare you? Yes. Yeah. I'm utterly terrified. I've got friends coming as well. Like, oh, it's going to be so mad because I have either I'm going to go shit. This is I'll just do some old stuff and like you know try and you know just get through it. But that isn't the point. I always put myself in this situation. Well, first preview or previews generally. Try stuff. That's what it's for. because it's very hard. You know, you might try a little bit. So when I do, do a show in Edinburgh, and then little little bits, new bits come in over the, over the tour. But at some point, you have to chuck it all away and start again. It's that moment. Uh, and I, yeah, some years, like about two years ago, I wrote loads. I had a whole stack of paper, but none of that ended up in it. Almost none. Like just a few sentences here and there, a few paragraphs. And then last year. It just, I don't know where it came from. There's some old stuff, some very old stuff that had only been performed once, you know, sort of thing, and some anecdotes. And, and I really liked it by the end. <laughs> it's like, it's about a couple of weeks ago to the last show, I thought, ah, I'd like that now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You're you're someone whose jokes, uh, we'll, and we'll talk specifically about the the jokes. And I'd like to talk specifically about one-liners for the moment because okay. I think you your ability to write almost kind of. I don't know what the word is archetypal one-liners one of the jokes that i i most commonly think about of yours is all men are brothers hence war hmm. i think that is that for me that doesn't just that's not just a joke that says something yeah it's a little philosoph- i love a bit of philosophy i love nietzsche and Kierkegaard. And i like it's a bit like poetry but i like the thing of getting a thought down to as minimum words few, well, a couple of years ago at McCuntliff Comedy Festival I thought of this joke well I thought of a punch on to it I thought of this joke and it was a late night kind of um, you know festival show you know lots of acts on and I was pretty drunk but uh, I thought this, can I go on and just do my new joke I just thought of it thinking, oh, yeah. so I did it and it went alright and then I was sort of walking away I was out of the venue I was having an appointment no I can do that better and I did it four times by the end I had it down to four words what was the joke originally it was I've got some friends you know and uh, they're, they're clowns they work in the, uh, the, the clown industry and well they're married married to each other but got children and that but um it's not working out at the moment and they're, um, they're going to get divorced probably probably going to be a custody battle okay <laughs> it's not worth the palaver isn't worth trying <laughs> this fake backstory of, it, what it ended up was four words clowns divorce custody battle yes okay you, again it's tricky one to t- you've got to say it just right and, yeah, but um uh, over a few hours right? but in front of the same audience obviously but the fourth time they'd heard it it had lost some of its charm 
the thing about jokes. So your your writing process for something like that, or for the All Men Are Brothers, or for uh, what do you get? The man who has everything. Might I suggest a tombstone engraved with the words "So what"? Mm. Those kind of like boiling the idea down. What what do you start with? When, when yeah, you said with the custody battle one, you start with the idea of like the word custody, the double meaning of that word. I don't know how I start. I, no, to be honest, it's a it's a mystery. Even to do it, it's like uh, as Kierkegaard says, um, uh, jokes from the mysterious source of the inexplicable, such that not even the wittiest of men dares to say tomorrow, but when it pleased the gods. So, right, I don't have a process. There's no. I don't, Sometimes things occur to me. Like for a long time, I've had this um, thing about Sainsbury's. Yes, um, <laughs> my, my Sainsbury's songs, and I, lo- I, I very love well. doing them. Basically, football chants pro Sainsbury's. So I'm against <laughs> all other supermarkets. You know, I was taking the dog just for a walk around there, and I knew there were other supermarkets since I didn't really know, but uh, I hadn't thought of anything to it. And about halfway around walking, I thought. Lidl, Lidl, smells like Piddle, food round the outside, junk in the middle. <laughs> Bang! And then, just on the way back, Aldi, Aldi, are oh, you little in disguise? <laughs> Nothing but a bad anagram. Bang! So now I'm going to do that. That's this year, right? Yeah. But, but that entitles me to do the old Saints of as well, and I'm, I'm going to try and add, take them all down, Waitrose, <laughs> <MS. laughs> uh, one stop. You know. Anyway, I'm going to expand that bit. So, like, for example, I, I did a uh, thing called The Two Confessions of Sherlock Holmes, which is in Malcolm Hardy's mm-hmm. book, Sit Down Comedy. Like, you know, I don't know how many, a couple of few thousand words. But that just started off as one joke, and it just stayed as that joke for years. And then I had to write something, and I kind of thought, oh, I'll just carry it on. So, what was the, what, what was the one joke? What was it the, was the only line, it? which was um, The True Confessions of Sherlock Holmes. The first two cases were a fluke. <laughs> After that, I coasted on my laurel. <laughs> that was a, I remember, I just remember just from that voice. Is that the one that has a reference to Quarquas and Merlin? Yeah, 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 yeah okay. <laughs> so, this is Simon. An enormous pleasure to talk to Simon, particularly as you can hear on a beautiful day with a little bubbling, uh, babbling brook behind us and uh, tweeting and the noise of grass growing and so on. Now, there is extra content for this episode. Um, if you go to comedianscomedian.com extras, uh, you can hear some extra bits of chat about the near riot of which Simon was the epicenter and, uh, and in which a young Stu Goldsmith slightly participated many years ago. And um, you can hear Simon's thoughts on success. Uh, you can hear all about his previous obsession with audience numbers. That's fascinating. And uh, and also his invention of a better saucepan, not to mention a little cheeky anecdote to do with Banksy. All of that stuff is available if you join the mailing list at comedianscomedian.com forward slash extras. And if you're already on the mailing list, then your email address will act as your little key to uh, download all of that stuff on MP3. Um, I'll chat to you a little bit more at the end of this episode. Um, I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. Let's get straight back into it. Just a little reminder, if you'd like to donate to the show, please do. I've got to do a big shout-out to Ren and the Good Doctor, who gave me a three-figure donation for the show, which is one of the biggest I've ever had. <laughs> not, not one of the biggest three-figures ones. Those really don't crop up all that often, as you can imagine. But um, thank you so much. You're supporters of my stand-up. You come and see me live, I know. It's great to have met you. And thank you so much for... 
um, not just the money, but also what the money means. It's, it's, I'm enormously proud of this podcast whenever anyone is moved to donate, and even when they're not, even when you send me nice emails, or I just overhear someone on a bus talking about the show who doesn't know I'm there. How exciting. Um, but I'm very proud of this show, and uh, every time someone makes an effort, I've had another decent donation too from uh, a mystery benefactor who knows who she is so thank you very much to you um uh, the majority of donations of course are m- much uh, less uh, uh, sparkly and exciting than that but no less appreciated um thank you to everyone i've, I've emailed you all i uh, i get back to everyone that donates and if you would like to be one of their number and hear exactly what it is that i say then uh, then all variations thereof um, then you can donate at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate. Or, of course, you can go there and set up a recurring payment if you'd like to for one, two, five pounds a month. And even some lunatics are even going a tenner a month. I mean, there's like three of them in the world, but it's enormously appreciated. And um, and if you'd like to be part of that, then please don't let me stand in your way. If, of course, you're unable to donate, then you are one of the beneficiaries of the people who can donate, paying so that you don't have to. So uh, to Ren and uh Ms. B and uh, and all of the other people who I never know if I should be identifying you perfectly happy to identify Ren it would seem but um, I, I think uh, her and and the GD will be very happy to uh, to be officially recognized um thank you thank you so much if you're someone that donates in any form I appreciate it enormously and uh, more power to you if of course you're someone who can't or chooses not to donate uh, then please do share the show give me a decent review on itunes particularly if you're in a different country uh, to the uk and that uh, helps more people discover it and that's great so i hope you'll come along and see my own uh, edinburgh show not just everyone's a comedian on the 14th of august at 7 30 p.m that's a little one-off show but also my show like i mean it who as you'll know if you listen to last week's episode is now firing on all cylinders and ready to roll i cannot wait to get up to the festival what a relief after months of is it okay is it gonna be okay oh god can i do it again i can't do it again now i'm like i've done it again I'm going to do it again, harder, more, better, faster, stronger, at 3.45pm daily from the 5th to the 27th at the Liquid Rooms Annex. I'll see you there for Like I Mean It. That'll do for now. Let's get back to the second half of this interview with the absolutely wonderful Simon Munnery. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. <laughs> 
So when it came to, and I, let's talk about the league against Tedium for a bit. That was my, that was, as I said, my first introduction to you, and that I think was that seemed to me like the 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 the, the holding place. So I don't know what quite what I'm miming here. That seemed like a really good way for you to bang out lots of philosophical one-liners. It seemed like the perfect character for that in yeah. a way that the security guard would do security guard-based jokes. Yeah. Alan Parker would do jokes about class and mm. status, and then with League Against Tedium. It seemed to me just you'd you'd found a different type of voice with that character. Yeah, I think so. That you would, t- and I always envisaged you. And this is one of my first thoughts about the writing process of a comedian. I thought, have you sat down with like a book of aphorisms or you know epigrams and then gone through them and spent a bit of time on each one, going, how can I? How can I tweak this? How can I find another meaning in this? You know, the watched pot never boils, things like that. Uh, yeah, there, no. There's so many of them well, that seem to be based on, they're kind of riffs on existing... Yes, so obviously uh, any kind of... Uh, like, so the, the, the sort of idea of the League and Stadium was uh, it's Mr Loser's revenge on the world. So he's entitled to look at any philosophy, anything anyone's ever said, and by adding something, twist it, un- undermine it, or... or make his own so uh, I did but I didn't like, go through Nietzsche looking for something I could nick and alter I liked <laughs> I found, find Nietzsche quite, quite funny quite a lot of it um, everything about woman is a riddle everything about woman has one solution it is called pregnancy Right, that's one of his. Okay. Well, I think that is funny. There's <laughs> um, uh, another Nietzsche one that made me laugh. It's, the idea is something. What makes me laugh about Nietzsche, this particular line by Nietzsche, which is uh, to get up at the break of day and in all the dawn and freshness of one's strength to read a book, I call that vicious. It's, it's the idea of the pen being put, to, you know, the full stop, pen down. <laughs> <laughs> Strutting round the garden. Yes, nailed it. (laughs) Table over. Uh, That kind of uh, the arrogance of the one-line philosophize philosophize with a sledgehammer. Attitude of Nietzsche is really what what drove that, and then. I added some technology on top. The first ever performance League of Stadium was at the Canal Cafe Theatre. Uh, there were three people in the audience. Uh, it'd take me two trips from Haringey, where I lived, on the tube, with all these props. To, and I set, set up this thing with a, a lectern, which I'd built, and two arms that came out of it, and barbed wire between them. So there's a barbed wire barrier between me and the audience. Two buckets with stage maroons, explosives, which I rigged myself with wires up to these buttons on the, on the thing. And a huge inflatable man, which was basically a, it was a uh, a fan hot air a cold air you know fan like, uh, attached to um, two uh, dustbin liners attached together so that uh, when I pressed a button this thing would spring up to life and then I had a, on a Walkman tape it would argue with me <laughs> it was the modern man I had the argument with the modern anyway and the explosives were anyway, it was an utter disaster there were uh, of the audience of three two were Dutch and they, it meant nothing to them and uh, I packed it away and, and I didn't give I just kept doing it until eventually it worked um, the, there's something about this, the status of the league mm. and that kind of, like you say, the loser's revenge on the world. That's when you get it. If you don't, it's really annoying. Like, it, it worked. It worked in Edinburgh, it worked in Manchester, it worked in London. As It, it was funny. Um, then, uh, and I'd done Alan Parker in Melbourne before. I went over to Melbourne to do it. Um, something that begins 
with Verdi's Requiem and Attention Scum, you are nothing, absolutely nothing, in an English accent. Mm-hmm. Right? And Australians are really nice. They're going, you're being rude to us for, right? And if you don't find that funny, it's a really fragile show. I hadn't realised how fragile, because it's always gone well before that. Yes, or, it's so but, ballistic. It's right. such a kind of steamroller. Either you find it? being abused by them before, you find Attention Scum, you think you're so, but you're not even meow. Um, you find that funny, or you're offended, in which case I'm not going to dig it back when I finally come on. <laughs> Um, so and there it went. It was full the first night, and then it went down and down and down to about it was two hundred and fifty down, down, down to about a hundred, and then I sort of pulled it back to about one hundred and thirty-four. I'd go really get particularly at that time obsessed by numbers. But anyway, so it just and it didn't go well, it didn't work, except for one night where um, accidentally I don't know how I did it. I was, I was camp, right? just much more camp with it, and people were crying, laughing on the way out. Right? The next night I tried to do it camp. And that didn't... I wasn't camp. It was, it was worse. Yeah. So there was something in that. And then the other time... What the other was, what, what, just before we move on, what was that about, do you think? The, the, the campness making it work? Is, what unlocked it what, for them? Why? Well, it's... Um, if you're camp, uh, you're sort of allowed to be bitchy. Uh, a kind of bitchy camp wit or, or vicious camp wit is kind of I'm just trying to think what would be different about that though that they hadn't liked the previous night for me the line in that show where, where you go you know you're doing knock knock who's there the sea oh, my old enemy <laughs> that to me is just yeah. like how can you not, not laugh like, at that how can you like how could you mistake that if arrogance all, if, yes for real yeah, arrogance yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't know why it didn't work I mean, I, it had worked, but in Australia it didn't. And also, in I was booked to do uh, a festival in Toronto. Well, I thought it was a festival. And I said to people, are you going to the Toronto Festival? Like, I've never heard of it. I don't know. Anyway, I got there. It wasn't a festival. It was just me. But this, this bloke, he was a... Not really nice bloke. He was a, an accountant, but he wanted to be a theatrical producer before his 30th birthday. Uh, and he looked for the brochure, and he wanted Dave Gorman, but he wasn't available, so he picked me to do the League Against Stadium uh, in, in Toronto for five weeks in this theatre that had been dark... Uh, for six years and hadn't been used and it was a huge church about 300, 400 seater with a balcony anyway open up there's two followers spot operators but again the same thing as in they just after the beginning attention has come to another they, they were on the they weren't they were annoyed offended by it uh, and you know, did my best, did it all. Uh, but numbers went down. And I asked him, I begged him, could I do Alan Parker over Memorial? Which I knew I'd done in Canada. I knew mm-hmm. it worked. I knew I could. No, I, I booked this show. I believe in it. You, you do it. Only one matinee. <laughs> one matinee. My numbers were just going down. Like to, you know, 10, 15 people. There was one matinee when uh, there were three in. Uh, I mean, we've got two follow-up spot operators, uh, stage manager, two bar staff, me, three people in the audience. And uh, after the first half, uh, I was sitting outside in the sun, having me customary half-time beer. I went back on, I started banging it out to the whole room, and then realised, oh, something's changed. Two people have gone. <laughs> it's just you. <laughs> and there's this bloke with a beard. So I just did it all straight to him, and he, he laughed his, his head off. But... Um, there's something about performing to one person in a 500-seat theatre. Like, that's as embarrassing as it can get, really. I, um, just, uh, you, know, bit, you know, Tunnel Club, that. Um, <laughs> that uh, reminds me of a, a joke you used to have where you would say to the audience, um, uh, 
do you ever feel completely and totally alone oh, on love- the off chance that one person yes. would go yes uh, hoping no no and when it did it's perfect anyone any, as I'm probably, anyone here felt totally alone yeah oh just you then but you've got, you've got to hope it's just one person and the one time that went right how I met my wife I was doing um at Melbourne, and uh, I, done, I was doing Alan Parker, and I'd done my show, gone, gone really well, doing the late night uh, fringe show, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever it's called, the late night show. And um, I was being, I remember I was cocky in the dressing room, going, How long have you been doing it? You know, 15 years. <laughs> I was going to impress myself. <laughs> Probably had a bit of a smoke. Uh, anyway, I went on, and I went, Right, uh, I did one joke from the show, uh, you know. Bang. And then, right, Melbourne, got any issues? Right, I wanted them to shout something, and I was going to wanted to improvise. And someone at the back shouts out, repetitious comedians. And I, I, the characters went out of me. I just lost my temper. What do you mean, repetitious comedians? I, I did one joke, and I asked to improvise, and you go, well, that's just so unfair. Anyway, this old London skin shone through. Anyway, uh, and I tried to dig it back and become Alan Parker again, but it didn't work. Nothing was working. And at one point, I did that joke. I went, anyone here ever felt totally alone? Massive laugh, because I was dying on my ass. And then one person perfectly goes, yes. And I went, oh, just you then. Nothing. Uh, And I went, no. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Um, <laughs> that was the movement. Uh, and then, then uh, I t- said, I realised Alan Parker wasn't working. I couldn't do it anyway. I was just in such a strange state. I said, uh, I started trying to describe the league against Stadium and that I would be wearing a different costume and started doing about it. And then I did a bit about, which is part of the league against Stadium became, which was the act of supreme supremacy, which was a Michael Caine voice about the Church of England. Started doing that, some, some bits about Jesus. That was going for nothing. Every so often I would get a laugh. Like, I, said, I said, what am I doing wrong? To blow my what am I doing wrong? And he went, you're too polite, mate. And I went, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that got a laugh. Yeah. But, but none of my material would, and I couldn't find a way through it. So, and eventually I got this, heck, this heckle, which was... And I've been t- talking about Jesus about a minute before. You know, this heckle, which was, don't die. Uh, don't die and the thought came to me the reply came to me was where were you at the crucifixion because <laughs> that would have been a good time to shout that but the mood I was in was such I changed it where were you at Calvary uh, which may be wrong it might be Calgary it's one of the two <laughs> but anyway but th- that cuts out 80% of the audience anyway <laughs> I got a tiny laugh uh, and I remember I backed off the stage but I did my time <laughs> Uh, I've so never seen a anyone whiskey. back off the never set. It's just like, fuck. <laughs> anyway, happy and days. That, and that little voice was Janet. That was my wife, yes. To be. So your, your approach to 30 years' worth of comedy has been... Is it fair to call it kind of scattergun? You've done lots of different characters, lots of different things. You'll do OHP slides and paintings yeah. and the Jesus kind of puppet show yeah you, you, you've done a lot of things a lot of different things what, why is that why have you done so many different things is that are you kind of serving your own do you get bored with things easily or do you I mean has it occurred to you to go I'm going to do this one and stick to that I think it's, uh, does that not interest you it does uh, I don't do this one thing well I you know I did Alan Parker about 20, maybe 20 years <laughs> right so that's doing one thing and honing it and getting better at it but presumably uh, at the same time as doing lots of other stuff well the, the league and season came up with sort of in parallel but so yeah I've done the same I'm quite happy doing the same thing over and over but 
it's more like I think of something that makes me laugh and I want to see if other people find it funny so they were, and I have particularly pursued the visual like doing visual things like the overhead projectors or, or cardboard animations I want to ex- that's a, a thing I have I keep coming back to and then every then going bloody hell I can't I can't go any more props around I'm sick of it <laughs> I'm a year off from that and try and get away without it so I, I vary between the visual and the and just speech um, but no as I think of a thing and then I have to do it and pursue it until I give it up or it gives me up like I, I think you, if you have an idea you're the servant of that idea that's how it works for me. Uh, so when you... It's interesting because I, I often like asking people what they're working on at the moment. And mm. as we've established, you're working on zero. What the hell do I do in 48 hours? Well, was, but in terms of your, in terms of what's on your, in your notebook at the moment, yeah. what bit of something that doesn't yet exist are you feeling most confident in it, having some mileage in? Uh... Like, is there a particular note that sticks out that you think, I think there's something in this? N- n- no. I mean, at the moment, I mean, so, no, I just have faith that something will turn up. We'll ha- uh, it may not, in which case it'll be a disaster, but that's all right. Uh, these things are sent to try us. So, um, there is a, a bit... No, well, there's... I've got about four jokes that are, are, are new. There's, that, there's that, that little bit, mm-hmm. right? So, there's the things I've tried, and there's a thing... I've been doing, which is uh, um, I've done about twice now, but I really love doing it. So that's going to be fun. Which is, uh, I go, you know, it's like then you, uh, you know, it's like then you, you know, you're digging away in the heap, digging away in the heap, and you find a shoe. Oh, it's a good shoe, really good shoe. You know, it's not been worn hardly. Oh, shoe, yes, yes. Got to be another one. Got to be another one. You're down there. You're digging in the heap, digging in the heap. And you think, oh no, of course there's not going to be another shoe. Of course not. No one throws away a, a pair of shoes. They throw away one shoe. It's the one that's been lost. Uh, you know what you do with one, you know uh, with one shoe you know the the market for you know one legged men are thin on the ground literally um uh what you do anyway on for a bit about the shoe and uh, what you can do with it and you end up burying it again and you think oh no someone's done this before uh, in the heap i know what you're thinking third world problems <laughs> uh, okay so it's all for that that's what it's all <laughs> okay. for but um, i really enjoy doing that bit about you know, it's like, so that's that's a thing I'm going to enjoy doing. And, and and in the in the in that example, third world problems is almost like that's not your favourite bit of the joke. That's like the bit that legitimise. That's like the end that you can rely on, so that yeah. you can enjoy yourself doing yes. the digging mime and the exploring the idea. Yeah, uh, yeah, in, indeed. And also, I really, uh, I find the, the phrase first world problems annoying. Yeah. So let's just try the opposite. I, I, maybe that's a whole format. Maybe that's a whole, you know, coal seam of, you know, you do an whole another routine, which is ends up with third world problems. You know, you, you, you're working in the factory, and you've got to sign the contract not to kill yourself. Ooh. You know, you go upstairs and you're trying to get out, but they've got nets. <laughs> you, know. you are uh, credited with some of my favourite... Th- Quotations, almost like views on comedy. I believe you. Uh, it was you who came up with "It's not a race, it's a dance," with reference to comedy. Yeah, it's as not a career. It's not a marathon; it's a sprint. No, it's not a race; it's a dance. Yes, yeah. which saved my life in 2010 when I was having a, a tough year. I remember thinking, as soon as I yeah. thought that, it was yeah. my first year of doing an hour at Edinburgh. I was so happy because I was just regarding doing a show that year is all it was was a, a, a gift to myself it was like a victory lap for yeah. having managed to write an hour which is something mm. I'd wanted to do for years and years mm. 
and I was so happy and then the day before the nominations I was a technical newcomer I was eligible for newcomer as many people are each year and the day before the nominations came out people started going oh you must be excited about the thing and I was like no haven't thought about it what uh, and then it got in my head for 24 hours didn't get nominated for anything of course uh, and uh, I say of course not because I'm terrible but because no, no. you know I'm a very limited amount of people uh, oh, it's a ridiculous number it, it's as if it wasn't stressful enough doing a show for a month. You had a competition. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, oh, for just making a living's hard. So, so that phrase, it's not a race, it's a dance. And I think another one that Stuart Lee has credited you with or, or brought to my attention was if the crowd are behind you, you're facing the wrong way. If the crowd gets behind you, it means you're facing the wrong way. I did another one. I added to that a while back. Then I forgot what it was. Something about if the crowd on your left, it means you're lying down or something. Like that. <laughs> anyway, but there's more to do with geometry. But it means two things, doesn't it? The crowd gets behind you, like you know, like a, yeah. like a Nazi rally, yeah. sort of thing. If you're slagging off the Muslims and everyone's laughing, you're a cunt, I think. It's sort of the my what I'm saying there is you're sort of the role of the performer is to be against the crowd in, to to some extent to take them somewhere new, but rather you know, than to rather than to confirm what yeah. they already believe and be carried That's shoulder high for saying anything the they of agree with. Performer, it's some that is something of your job, uh, your know, vocation. But maybe not. <laughs> People can well, where, where, where does that? Because I'm, I'm really interested in that philosophy of it. Where does that idea come from? Does that come from your own? I don't mean the, the joke. I mean the premise of the, it. The idea. Does that come from your own? Does that come from you seeing? people get an easy ride by pandering to an audience and that frustrating you or does it come where is this where does that originate this idea that you should be against that you should somehow be contrary to the audience uh, uh probably Nietzsche <laughs> Nietzsche and you know being the uh, or the single individual and uh the truth and something of the role of the priest maybe um it's, say you know there's the kind of a philosophy of comedy of saying the unsayable and that sort of area I don't know, <laughs> I, really don't know. Well, I just think there's something that thought occurred to me and I thought that no there's something in that Nietzsche says something like if I contradict myself so what I'm paraphrasing, isn't he? he said it more eloquently. <laughs> but yeah, okay. But that, even if that thought isn't real clonk, hundred percent true, there's also there's a truth to it. That um, uh, there is space there. You know, it's not just telling people what they want to hear. You, you should tell them what they don't want to hear and try and make them um, not mind, <laughs> not mind having heard it. <laughs> Give them their money back. That's the way. So. Have you become the sort of comedian that you anticipated you would? What, what did you th- when you started doing stand up? What did you anticipate from? I don't from know. Comedy. I, I didn't. Um, I just started doing it. <laughs> Loved doing it. Carried on doing it. Uh, I, the, the wind change you get stuck like that. Um, uh, I, I never had a plan or anything. Uh, uh, no, I could, yeah. My basic philosophy is to say yes to things, whatever turns up. I've not been particularly proactive. Um, I got, I don't know, a while back, just like the idea of having a meeting with a TV producer or something. Oh, I just don't want to do that again. Was that uh, after, this is after attention scum uh, uh, was yeah. but, was but kind of made and then it announced not, it was not going to be recommissioned before yeah, it went out? Yeah, not, not just that, but also I did a pilot for Alan Parker pilot for BBC Two that was broadcast didn't need to be broadcast a lot of you know the best road to be on if you want to do TV is non-broadcast pilots you know you get paid and everything but it doesn't go out until you don't put it out till it's ready 
Whereas, and this, and, and I, I wasn't very particularly good at arguing with people. I, I knew my character and what I wanted to do, but what, how I, what Alan Parker would do as a set, which was you know one big joke, which was like some huge uh, Doctor Martin boots, like a, like they tried to build a model of himself, but it had been too big, so there's half of it there and half of it there. You know, that's for one sort of visual joke. But they wanted, but we ended up with a set like the words and dancing girls, and it was kind of. Uh, some good stuff Graham Linhan co-wrote on it and there were some good little sketches and I had a dreadful cold that day I, I was on tour so I kept me tour but having l- lost a lot of battles about little things having to argue about things I thought, oh, one of the great things about stand-up is the freedom that you can think of a thing and do it that's, that's what I really love the freedom you think of it do it you don't ask a committee you don't check it although having said that it's great to be in a double act when you can bounce off someone else but you can just try it and, and see and just, there's no asking you just do it and TV is sort of the opposite of that you have to wade through a lake of treacle to get to, and then it won't be quite what you wanted and I suppose in, in terms of the way you were describing before like it being a research project to find out if they laugh at what you laugh there's, there's not really any room for that within TV you can't really try things yeah. in the same way I suppose or not. there's too much well, there's too many other people's jobs and nights and money it's, all, it's also important it. yeah yeah it's, impo- it's important so is that is that something that's kind of at the the centre of your your practice as a comedian which is that it it can't be too important because that means you can't get out of it the thing that you want to get out of it could you envisage a way for you to happily do TV yeah for it to for it to work I mean to serve your interest in comedy what would what would need to be different complete control <laughs> I suppose just yeah, which I had I so that my camera based film show was sort of an attempt to do that in a way with guests people you know just speaking directly through a camera and then you know I it, it's a rudimentary way of making TV uh, live in front of the audience people actually seeing it mm. that, that was very interesting if that, if that could make it work it did work and it does work um, but I'm sort of I'm leaving it fallow for a bit and I don't want to cart cameras around for a bit but I did it for about five years that's so every often, so often I leave something and hopefully come back to it have you have you pitched that as a TV show finally? no I never have because I don't know, it seemed to me utterly obvious it should be a TV show. It just is a TV show. Uh, it, that's what it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it and, literally and, is a TV show. And it show. works. And I'm just, I'm kind of, I was, there was a little bit of time where I went, well, I'm surprised the world hasn't noticed and come up to me and gone, hey, you've just, that's a, just a brilliant method of making very cheap uh, TV that works. And we know it works because the audience are laughing at what they're seeing. And then we uh, at home can laugh with them at the same thing. That is surely it. But no. So uh, is that a case of... It sounds... I mean, I, I sometimes feel similarly or have felt similarly about the world of TV in that you do a thing, presumably people want to put this on TV. Probably people who've made a lot of TV would say, that's not the way it works. You've got to beat the door down to... to you know, you've got to, you've got to apply. <laughs> At the yeah. very least, you've got to say to someone, would you like to put this on TV? Yeah. And it strikes me that that's not a very Simon thing to do. No. Probably, you know... Uh, crippling shyness or uh, yeah but or it's also the thing when they're making TV lots of people have to be involved to justify it being on TV in a way maybe it's just it's too simple uh, but you know I should put it out on the internet I've got all this footage of loads of people doing pretty well 
talking through a camera uh, with with images, but they you know, it's just stored. Oh well, <laughs> never mind. Like it seems to me, like in the, it's just with that specific example. If you've got this kind of treasure trove of really good, funny material mm. that you're not putting out into the world, like. I'm going to ask you a challenging question. I don't necessarily right. mean this. I'm just interested in it. Is it laziness? Yeah, it could be. I, I mean, also, well, I suppose you know, I should write to what, the BBC, maybe. I should write to the, someone at the BBC and have a meeting and show them some footage, see what they think. Yes, you're right. OK, let's get on with that. <laughs> I'll, I'll start Monday. <laughs> Meanwhile, I've got this next show to panic about. So <laughs> it's all there. Uh, I, I, yeah, I would love. I, I even did it at the at the BBC. Um, you know, the BBC has its own compound in Edinburgh. Yes, and this huge screen, in, and I, I plugged my system into their huge screen and did it in front of three hundred people, laughed their heads off. Right, that's in front of and the, the top BBC executives in the audience. Yeah, right, and still no one. I, I just thought, okay, well, you know that thing that works. Do you think maybe? Uh, no, no one said anything. So, oh yeah, that's a, that's an interesting. It's also it might be like oh yeah, that's your act. Yeah. Whereas to me, it's a format. That's just a really yes. As I say, as I say in it, uh, the, my theory is the camera amplifies the face in the same way the microphone amplifies the voice, and it is an instrument that should be used by live performers. In a sentence, that's it. And but, but no. <laughs> <laughs> do you have do you have a manager who should be kicking down doors on your behalf? I, I do have an agent, Agent Tom. He's, he's in New York. I did have a manager for him, so I prefer having an agent, really. Oh, what's the difference? I've never understood. Twenty the quid a week. <laughs> um, what is the difference? A manager sort of makes decisions. I suppose supposedly makes decisions for you. As an agent, sort of just a manager is more proactive. I think. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. But I know he's capable of thinking of himself. I'm sure he must have thought about it. But yeah, I'll ask him well, when we get onto the BBC. So we <laughs> this, this is all working for me because I suppose yeah. for me, part of the reason to do I've got different kind of um, ulterior motives, I suppose, for any of the interviews that I right. do. And I suppose for me, part of it is like coming to see you in Edinburgh and then coming back and you know bringing friends with me. Part of me wants to go, come on, world, make Simon <laughs> incredibly successful. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it would have happened by now if it was good. <laughs> well, maybe I am. Maybe I am incredibly successful. Well, maybe. I mean, we're sat here next to a, an artificially babbling brook. Yeah. The, the, yeah. In a beautiful the location. Fish alive in the pond. <laughs> Sun shining. So what's the relationship then between the, the two processes of giving them what they don't know they want, giving them what you want them to, to have, yeah. and trying to listen to what it is that they're enjoying? Because... Yeah. With that, and it, it's, it's, it's slightly to do with what you were just saying there, but also what we've talked about generally, you're, you're, you want to surprise the audience, you want to be contrary to them somehow, but at the same time, when you're trying material, something works or it doesn't. So to yeah. a certain extent, you are following, you are led by what they're enjoying. Yes, I think if, you, if you've done this any length of time, it's because you love laughter and you love it when, when they laugh. So you're, I remember seeing um, Kenneth Williams when he was alive, obviously. <laughs> he was doing uh, he was a book launch for John Lars' biography of uh, Joe Orton. 
Uh, and it was a, a book launch tour, and it was John Lark, biographer of Kenneth Williams, of, of uh, Joe Orton, talking to Kenneth Williams, friend of Joe Orton. Mm-hmm. And Kenneth Williams was hilarious, but when anyone laughed in the room, he was drawn to it like a moth to a flame, which made it funnier. You know, so someone was laughing particularly loudly. So anyway, drawn to laughter. Um, so. Uh, no, you, you, you're always listening to whether something works or not. I don't think you think, oh, that works, tick, cross, but it's my... Ah, or I didn't do that very well, or, you know, self-critical. Well, comedians are often very self-critical, much more so than is justified. Like, it might have been the audience. I used to do, done shows before where I've played little films at the beginning. Right, it's right at the beginning, so sometimes they go, just storm it, right? Just hilarious. Other times the next day, you know, nothing, a titter, you know. This isn't a level playing field, is it? I'm assuming because I'm in the same room and there's roughly the same number of people that it's the same. But no, it isn't. There's, the crowd can vary. They could not get it. A little tip, I always think... Um, someone told me this. I can't remember who it was. But um, if, don't worry if they don't laugh. They're saving the laugh up for later. Right. <laughs> that's nice. That's a nice one, isn't it? If it doesn't work... That, it's in the past. Don't worry about it. You know, move on. Yes. It's, uh, it's when you... Da, 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 da. Uh, nothing. <laughs> Even then, you know, de- death. Mister, as Philippe Gaudier said, Mister Flop, he come, he's good, he come because I can't really do him. But uh, so you, did you did you do his clown I did, workshops? Did his clown workshops twice. Yeah. When was that? Oh, I can't remember. Uh, I mean, I'm really bad at dates. But, but like, uh, like ten years, ten, twenty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably. Uh, no, before children, so it's got to be 15 years ago at least. Okay, because loads of comics are doing Goliath now. Is he still? He's still yes, alive. he's still te- he's still teaching. He's, he's that that frightening face. Can never look in his face. He goes through it. it, it was one moment, no one had had a. Everyone had had a moment at some point. It's, it's multinational. What, one, what comedians do is come on and defend themselves with jokes, whereas what clowning is is finding out. It's inviting people to laugh at you. What is funny about you? I mean, finding your clown, but it's like, what's funny about you? Give me an example. There's a, a Swiss um, street performer, juggler, big, big Swiss, sort of German Swiss, um, and he'd not had, he'd been funny once in, in the, throughout the whole court course. And Philippe goes, uh, so who, who has not had a moment? And he, he puts, right, you get up there, yeah, get up, um, okay, start talking, uh, start talking, okay, louder, no, no, okay, uh, you kick him up the ass, uh, yeah, no, you kiss him, no. So he, he's fiddling around with this bloke's performance in, in front of us all, and it's just really awkward. And he says, no, no, it's, uh, okay, uh, louder, no, no, now shout. And this Swiss bloke's like, it, it was a very awkward position for him anyway, but he starts shouting. And it was so funny. Just, we were all, I mean, all, we were all just crying with laughter. And I went up to him afterwards going, oh, that was so funny. And he was, uh, at that then, in tears, because we just laughed at him. We, it was what was funny about him. Yes. This, this angry, uptight Swiss bloke. And I hadn't, on that, the previous course, I'd had a few moments... <clears throat> But I hadn't had a one that one. He said, right, get, so for me, he said, get up. Okay, you uh, kick him up the ass. You kiss him. Okay, speak louder. Okay, okay, down. Speak, but don't make any sound. Uh, just, I just 
speaking but not making any sound and again I was, it was like they all were laughing it was I, I was I'd been on a quite a wide tightrope right wow yeah yeah this yeah, is funny okay. this is, is funny I'm being funny uh, in a kind of way I knew but anyway I said anyway your clown it is intellectual wanker <laughs> which I the league is a sort of intellectual yes, wanker which yes. I'd been doing and I kind of knew that but I didn't know it in the same way as deprived of all jokes that's what's funny about you and did that experience inform what you then did the work you made next did you change anything about what you were not, doing not consciously I, I felt ah it's like a penny had dropped or, or, or something it was like yeah I'd been doing the League of which was an act which is sort of an intellectual wanker with his thoughts and here are my thoughts you know uh, so what yeah, yeah to confirm but, but also to find to find that space of not without words without jokes or uh, but just something about that kind of character. I suppose it, it might have improved it a bit. I think f- to begin with, it made it go worse because I was trying too hard to do something else. Yeah. But uh, fingers crossed, I, ho- I think it did good. I'd recommend going, doing Golio. That that idea of going on stage with like a comedian going on with jokes to protect him. And I've always thought I've done it. I've done some clowning workshops, not for a long time now. But I always felt my problem. I kind of far enough out of them now to go. I couldn't take responsibility. I couldn't. I couldn't let them. Laugh at me. I don't have something to do with school and kind of yeah. feeling. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh god, I think it's perfectly natural. Yeah, not to want that. spent years trying to protect myself yeah. from attack. Yeah. And actually, one of my most enjoyable things to do on stage now is genuinely not know what I'm going to say next, and that you really have to throw yourself into difficulty and pursue an idea. And then, of course, the problem is if that works, you then try and fake it the next night. And you're like, no, this isn't the thing that was good. This is me trying to fake the the genuine moment of the previous night. Yeah, well, that's what I've got to do on Sunday. Yeah, something like that. I mean, my last show I did a bit, which I did. I wanted. I like to force off. I when I first did the um, says called annual general meeting. The whole idea of yes. that was I was doing. A, I had a fully written one man play, Buckethead Way of the Bucket or Buckethead Phenomenon and on and on, which was written. It just I had honed it over a couple of years. Done, and I decided to show at the stand. Just a, a massive fan of Phil K. I used to, uh, in Adelaide, when I first saw him, I was a show after him, and I used to watch him, his, the end of his show was always totally different. And he'd be telling jokes and uh, stuff, and people would be walking out backwards, still laughing. Time was up. <laughs> just still going. Force nature. And when I came back from Adelaide that time, you know, 25 years ago, used to um, do every other Monday the new material, like at uh, the Camden Head, uh, Islington. And uh, I used to do what I call my Phil K experiments, which is I go on deliberately with nothing and try and fill K up. And then sometimes it worked, you know, or read the telephone directory, you know, just give myself some stupid challenge and try and do it. Um, so but it, the, my last show I had a bit, which was, uh, OK, let's play... Ju- I've got beginning, middle, end, nothing else. Uh, let's play just an hour. And I'd ask them to... <laughs> you know, like, just a minute. Like, just a minute, but shorter and not rigged. Um, and the... Uh, so I'd ask someone to think of a subject and then I'd actually try and do it. And they go... But that, that is so hard. I mean, I, I, very I, twenty seconds maybe I managed to make talking about a thing, and that's what I don't like about um, set list uh, is the 
uh, I've done it quite a lot. I enjoy doing it at the time, but it's a bit like a like eating a late night McDonald's or something. I feel sick afterwards and also slightly ashamed because there's a natural there's a propensity to go down the base route when you're making stuff up and you're kind of getting desperate for a laugh. You'll say bum or poo or something. You heard that way, and and then on top of that, a lot of the subjects they give you on set list are, are kind of uh, chicken fucking in the Bahamas or they're kind of based as well so there's sort of double and also the, you know it's comedy without a safety net well comedy is without a safety net it just it just is like that's how it is and actually by saying it's without a safety net that is giving it a safety net <laughs> <laughs> that's good so oh so it's much easier than it looks um but anyway, but then I, I end up uh, so do this just a minute thing for a little bit, and then someone goes uh, hesitation, deviation, repetition, and I go, "Yep, fair enough. All right, you'll go." <laughs> <laughs> so I found an out to it, and that and it became just that rather uh-huh. than I, w- I wasn't even trying to improvise anymore. I just sort of do it for a bit and do and the punch know out. that you can get out. Yeah, yeah. but it's always it's always fun to be able to uh, like uh, you know I'd start doing banter with someone and then that would become part of the show and then I wouldn't really be trying to do banter anymore I'd just be recalling the previous banter it's alright I'm going to have to do quite a lot of banter on Sunday <laughs> where are you from please <laughs> you're, um, I, I've watched a lot of your clips on uh, YouTube to refresh my memory before I realised that I, I could pretty much remember most of your work anyway okay. from, from a certain period at least but I, something I did notice was that your um a lot of people in the comments under your YouTube videos reference Stuart Lee and the fact that they've been sent there by Stuart somehow. You know, he's like referred to a lot in uh, in his book. books, and yeah. he's kind of credited you as like he's borrowed some of your jokes. Has, for yeah. the, you know, in the same year, I think, as he did an article about how comedians who use writers are cheating, and you know, yeah, yeah. going to borrow some of your lines for his for his uh, series. Probably, I don't qualify as a writer. <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. <laughs> That's got, it. It's a loophole. It's clip law, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so it, it struck me. I mean, it, one of the things I noticed from that is that he he commands, a, or maybe he doesn't command. He uh, is subject to an enormous audience. A lot of whom seem to watch his stuff because they love him, and a lot of whom seem to watch his stuff because they hate him. Yeah. Which must be quite an unwieldy position to be in. I, I think he's doing all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he's doing yeah. fine. But um, a lot of a lot of the uh, you're very divisive in the comments. Of the videos, lots. I'm of, glad I haven't looked at it because no, 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 no. <laughs> don't do me don't, any good. Don't, don't look at it. <laughs> yeah, so no, for as many people as there are saying this is absolute genius, this is incredible. There's a lot of people going, I'm not just, I'm not just don't get it, but I hate it. Yeah, do you know what I mean? In in the way that that's probably why I'm not massively successful because half the people <laughs> seem to hate me. <laughs> well, I think of acts like um, like Ed Axel. Yeah, who I've never seen anyone divide a room like Ed Axel. Into, <laughs> I, I quite like that. Into, yeah, I love it. I love it. First, first when I first remember, first time I saw Jerry Sadowitz, right? So the comedy store, and uh, uh, I was just gone down there to see if I could get an open spot or something like that. And there'd be an American comic on, and I'd laughed a couple of times. He was quite good. And then Jerry Sadowitz comes on and goes, "I fucking hate fucking American comics like and names the bloke." It was just so rude. They come over here, they see things like, "Have you ever noticed how blind people can't do crosswords?" <laughs> Have you fucking noticed? And he's telling jokes at such speed and and so offensive as well, some of them, that there were waves of different sound crossing the audience. Right? Some people would be laughing from one joke and other people would be going <gasps> from the one before. You know, these different... Uh, 
uh, waves of, of laughter and horror cr- 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 and made it so exciting. Like seeing, I imagine, I never saw like the Sex Pistols in the early. You know, it was just wow, the energy and everything. It was like a living gargoyle <laughs> on speed. Not that it was, I don't think, but he was just something he was in, in his heyday. Oh, he's probably still brilliant. I haven't seen him for a while. Yeah, that thing of dividing room. I do like it when, when a room's divided. It's something interesting. Yes, well, I don't seek to divide a room. No, 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 no. It's just but nor happens. do you, nor do you make concessions to well, like you. You could one, one, one would imagine you could look at your thirty-year back catalogue, just choose all of your most reliable stuff, mm. and try to be a reliable club act. I, t- I, I mean? do that. Sometimes. Like, I mean, I know, I, I'm not calling that. you an unreliable act, but no, what no, I mean I, is, you could divide rooms less if you yeah. wanted to, and you've sort of chosen. To pursue what it is that excites you. Yeah, I'm fr- yeah that's it. I'm afraid it's just entirely selfish. Yeah, well, no, that's great. I mean, that's an angle. Uh, I do. <laughs> I do. I've got to make myself laugh. Otherwise, what's the point? Uh, or and 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 if if someone else laughs, oh, that's a, a massive and wonderful bonus. But you, you've, I've got to do what I think's funny. <laughs> Otherwise, not what I think you think's funny. Oh, maybe maybe, maybe this year I'll, I'll, I'll branch out. Here you go. Now, what you want? <laughs> Are you happy? Not at the moment, no. Just in a kind of state of state of panic. I mean, that's a precise moment. It's lovely to talk to you. So, yeah, <laughs> I am, I'm totally happy. And, and seeing the garden through your eyes, yes. How, how beautiful it is. And, no, I, I, I just walk around the garden and go, this is paradise. I love that tree. Just made... Um, uh, but I do feel... Uh, that, that feeling I had, there's something... Like a sort of residual... I have, do have a residual... No, it's not even a feeling. I have a, a massive backlog of emails. Just emails that I haven't answered. I, but it's so like a friend of mine uh, had a baby. A, really, a good friend, you know, a, a comic i known for, for 30 years. Uh, he had a baby just over a year ago. <laughs> I haven't congratulated him. It was because I was going to Melbourne. And I just, uh, I'd left it a week and it was too late then and it just it's got worse and worse and I uh, he's on the uh, anyway so that sort of thing right, so there's that but in addition to that because the residual feeling that's something I should have done or should be doing a kind of like uh, a permanent residual feeling yeah, yeah. I, is there any conceivable end to the research project of your sense of humour do you know what I mean? Like, is, yeah. is there a satisfactory end point that you can perceive? Will the you last ever be able to final go... joke? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, do you ever give that any thought? You know, is there yeah. is there any sense that there will be a satisfactory end to no? I don't your think, work. I, I think you just die in harness. That's it. Um, I, no, if perhaps you, there'll come a point where you know for several years you've not thought of a new thing and it sort of fizzles out. You know, not with a bang, but with a whimper. Or maybe it will. I think things will always make me. Well, I hope things make me laugh. I, I don't know what I'd be if I didn't laugh sometimes at things I thought. I think of a thing and some, you know, think maybe I've trained myself to make myself laugh a bit. I don't know, but it's an occupational hazard. But uh, I remember having I had a conversation with Paul Merton once about what the ultimate joke was, and I was saying well, a definition of an ultimate joke would be something like the longest possible joke, not a shaggy dog story, but the longest possible joke where every clause within it is necessary for the punchline and the punchline is worth the weight it carries before it so you know the opposite of a one-liner uh, yes. as many liners, lines as yes. possible but that would be able to, uh, I mean, you actually try and think of something like that 
it all goes out the window. You know. It's uh, mostly a couple of sentences. The uh, the closest example I can think of to that would be something. I mean, and it's still miles away. But Adam Bloom's joke, which you, if you bleep all the swearing, then in Morse code it spells out a rude word. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it actually did. I don't know if he, being Adam, he probably did go to the trouble to make did. sure that the Morse was accurate. Um, just wrapping up, there's two, there's two other questions I want to boom, ask. Boom, boom, shake the room. <laughs> there's, there's two questions I want to ask. One is about your mental health, your <laughs> happiness. It's, and I ask this of everyone, I don't mean specifically oh, yours. Gosh, but, um, but how happy are you with... Uh, with life, how, what sort of person are you? Do you get out of bed happy? Do you bounce back after difficulties in life, in your writing, in your, in your creative work, or in your normal life? Mm. How happy am I? I think uh, it's not like that. I mean, uh, to, to me, uh, happiness is uh, set yourself a task and do it and, uh, and, and feel relieved from that. That's, that's a source of happiness. Gen, you know, I'm not sort of blissfully happy. I, I, uh, all right, sort of level. I wouldn't say, you know, but uh, I, I still get sort of an access of joy when a thought comes to me. So then, for that moment, like, oh, like a little revelation. Oh, oh. Uh, and uh, a sort of overall kind of glimpsing the future slowly on the way down you know uh, or maybe I'll do something else right I think oh you know maybe, so there's that you know, under 10 maybe, maybe, maybe you know sometimes I talk maybe I don't, don't want to do this anymore maybe I should find something else to earn a living to pay for the bloody iPhones um, <laughs> uh, and I thought oh maybe a maths teacher you know I like maths so now I run chess club at Risey Lower School, just over the hill, right on Thursdays. So that's an hour or forty-five minutes of just twelve, fourteen children chess sets. I set them up, I intervene, shut up, that sort of thing. You play chess or get out. You know, the knight, the knight's the only one that jumps. Okay, you know, well, think, look at the board, think, no, that sort of. Work. So I do that. And even then, I come away from that at 45 minutes and I go, fucking hell, I couldn't be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> imagine, imagine 30 of them all, all day. Like, just some of them. Little, so really, those kind of unruly boys. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I had hits on. But maybe not. Maybe, maybe you know, uh, you've got to have a certain... I'm not also I'm not used to it, so it's, it's been an interesting taste to do it. So I do think I'd like to do something else, uh, perhaps as well. I don't know. So there's yeah, so a certain sort of unfulfilled, like not not even to do with money, just you know, I'm fifty, uh, I'm gonna die. We don't want to. Do, it's not like bucket list, like I, I, you know, go up Everest or something. I don't know what it is, but I, I, I feel like there's something else I'd like to have done. But other than that, yeah, great. I'm trying. Um, yeah, plant a bit more grass. Mowing the lawn. I mow the lawn. I never set out to have a lawn. I never, never wanted to. But once you've planted a lawn, you've gone to a lot of effort, a lot of effort to sift all that soil around there right, and get, turn it into a lawn. 
You've got to mow it. <laughs> You're burning up the planet. It's a strange meditative thing. But a, I mean, I quite enjoy it because it's in that, compared to writing, it's in that, you know, simple, achievable task. It's done. The lawn is mowed. Someone at the door. Ironically, whenever we have just a minute on, right, you know the bell, it's the yeah. same bell as I <laughs> dog, dog goes mad. <laughs> Someone's at the door. One day it'd be Nicholas Parsons. Very nice question then. What would you have engraved? It's like Columbo, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was What's the actual hungry. secret? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What would you have engraved? You can interpret this however you want. What would you have engraved on your comedy gravestone? Oh, yeah, I've already done that. Um, born in Edgeware, raised in Watford, died all over the place. <laughs> Easy. Thanks, man. <laughs> So thank you to Simon. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for letting me around your beautiful house and uh, gardens and showing me your soil sieve. And uh, if you'd like to hear more about uh, some of Simon's inventions, you can go to comedianscomedian.com forward slash extras for approximately 30 or 40 minutes more of additional conversation. Some of it about soil and some of it about riots, some of it about Banksy and some of it, of course, about comedy and, uh, and Simon's take on success. Uh, you can get that free MP3 by joining the mailing list at comedianscomedian.com forward slash extras. Thank you to you for listening. I'm going to stick around and post Amble at you in just a moment, but um, that kind of... I can't say the magic words until it does, does it? Yes. Everyone's a comedian. 14th of August. Come along to that. Like I mean it. 3.45pm from the 5th to the 27th of August at uh, the Liquid Rooms Annex. I can't wait. I can't wait this year. It's my, so nice to be returning to a venue where last year I was there. It all worked. The staff are amazing at the Liquid Rooms. They look after us so well. It all just moves smoothly like clockwork. I'm very hopeful and confident that it will be the same again. And it's so lovely to be going back to a venue thinking, I don't even need to worry about that. The show's kicking ass. I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to worry about anything. I just get to be in the same city as my family for a month and not drive anywhere, do shows every day, do myriad other little gigs and appearances and spots and bits and bobs. And that's why we go there. I can't wait. I'm so relieved. I will chat to you more about another big thing in my life in the postamble in just a moment. But for now, that does indeed conclude the next week. Nick Cody? Maybe Nick Cody next week. <laughs> <coughs> And a frog in my throat the entire time. So, so just a little bit of uh, chat. Um, I've got a big birthday coming up in two days. By the time you hear this, I'm pre-recording this because I'm off to Latitude Festival to guest on the Level Up Human podcast. Oh, talking of other podcasts and appearances thereon, I did um, uh, a chap called Reese. A chap called Reese did a, a, a podcast called After School, which I highly recommend you check out. And our own Daryl Smith, thanks Daryl of uh, editing this podcast fame, uh, had me on his show which is called uh things i'd sooner forget you can find that on twitter at i'd sooner forget no apostrophe and i'd of course come on we're not lunatics you talk about an object or a, some sort of tangible thing that you are embarrassed about some element of it you're embarrassed or ashamed of in your past things i'd sooner forget and then that leads into a wider conversation about who you were at the time. So I ended up talking in, in the after school podcast. I talked a lot about school and hating it. And, uh, I don't know how positive it was, but it might be of interest to you. Um, but in Things I'd Sooner Forget, I talk about my old street performing bowler hat. Fiercely proud of street performing, as you know. The bowler hat itself 
Well, you will find out why I chose to get into juggling bowler hats and I try to be candid about some of the terrible decisions that teenage Stu once made. And uh, it led us down a really interesting path uh, into talking about a lot of stuff that I've never talked about before and probably never will again in a public format uh, forum. So, uh, so all format. So check that out. That's Daryl's podcast, Things I'd Sooner Forget. Hey, you know all of that advertising I did for Daryl's podcast? Hashtag thanks, Daryl. It's actually called I'd Sooner Forget This. And I got that wrong all the time while I was mentioning how great it was. Uh, Daryl asked me to revoice that bit of the podcast uh, so that I could fit it in. But I can't remember any of the things that I said. And uh, I'm away enjoying my birthday now, uh, as you will hear later in the postamble of this episode. So uh, if you look for Daryl's podcast and you can't find it, that's because it's called I'd Sooner Forget This. And Daryl will have to be happy with this thanks daryl so coming up tomorrow to me now and minimum four days in the past from when you listen to this i've got quite a big birthday coming up i like a huge one like a one that i can't believe i cannot believe i'm going to be 24 years old <laughs> um i i've i've got it's, it's a big birthday guys uh, i'm going to latitude festival uh, by way of appearing uh, no, I don't mean appearing, uh, but I'm appearing on a pod while I'm there. Uh, I'm not gigging, gigging there, but um, I'm mostly going to Latitude in order to have this lovely birthday, to be at a festival and not work very much. Of course, me being me, I've taken on lots of additional little gigs and things, but um, it's, it's, it's one of those big birthdays where you reflect upon your life and think, Christ, is this, <laughs> not is this it? As you know, I'm very happy, very pleased to have achieved, I've unlocked wife and baby um, just before rolling under the slamming stone temple door uh, that is my birthday and just reaching back, grabbing my hat. And, uh, and there we go. Nailed it. Um, I think I worried a lot about ageing for the whole of my life, all of it, between the ages of 16 and... God. For many years after the age of 16, I would routinely worry about my birthday every night. and um, Every night, every night before. And um, I'd really get stressed about it. As if I could do anything about it. Absolutely. I mean, what a, what a typical description of what worry is. Hey, you can do absolutely nothing about this. Why not <laughs> let it occupy your every waking moment? I used to worry about it a lot, and recently, I haven't. I haven't worried for years, and now I'm. I don't know if I'm worrying. I'm just like, oh god, it's the big one, guys. Uh, this is the big one after. This is sort of the last one that matters. I think at this point is uh, what did um, what did Barry Cryer and uh, Willie Rushton sing in uh, Old Farts at Two Old Farts in the Night? For on now on, it's downhill slowly on the bus. Um, I suppose something I, I talked to my brother last night, and I suddenly realised, oh, um, I, this this birthday has made me realise that when you see older people like much older people you sort of assume they're kind of fine with being old <laughs> you're like oh they've whoever they were when they were young they've transformed into a, a different person now an older person um who's happy being old this has made me realize i'm like oh no god no 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 i'm still i'm still 23 aren't i i'm still i'm still in my early 20s with a whole life ahead of me and i mean thank god i know now what i know now god i, I did i did a gig in in totnes the other night lovely for big mouth comedy very pleasant it was too and um i went to college very near totnes i lived in totnes for three years while i went to uh, the the crazy hippie wacky art college i went to which is no longer there sadly i believe it's moved 
And it really made me realise, walking up and down the high street in Totnes, oh my God, when I was last here, I was scared. I was living quite a scared life. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know if I was doing the right thing. I went to that college for love, like a fool. Um, but, I, you know, it was a series of questionable decisions at the time. And, um, and I, it just made me realise that me, who I was in my very early 20s, I just walked around frightened, frightened of life and frightened of decisions. I mean, we all know I've got a good deal of option paralysis even now, but at least I know who I am. And it just really made me reflect on that moment when I became a street performer and how much that, you know, I, I only mention it all the times I care about it so much, how much that for me was a solidifying of identity. Like, this is who I am. Finally, I know who I am. And then, of course, I got, you know, frustrated with elements of that. And then when I became a comic, I went, no, this, this is who I am. And to go back there is actually to to remember very vividly in a very evocative way. Oh, God, remember who, who you were when you didn't know who you are? You know what I mean? Oh, it, that's not a that's not a well articulated subject. But um, yes, every time you think, God, what am I doing with my life? Just remember how much more screwed you were and clueless and befuddled and, and scared and bewildered 10 or 20 years previously. Um, so that's. Something to think about, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Am I nervous? I suppose I am nervous. This is the last time I will record a podcast before this big birthday, the number of which I cannot bring myself to say. Ah, <sighs> so long. <laughs> so long, young stew. So long, first half of life, stew. Now you're into second half. Open brackets. Half? Four question marks? Close brackets. You know. But at least I get to do it knowing who I am. I've got my team, I've got my base, I've got you guys, I've got my job, I've got all the things. People start respecting you. Uh, this has come up in dressing rooms a couple of times recently, where I've said to comics who are my age or my age within comedy, just when you've been going 12 years, God, you've been going a while. I thought yeah, it's been a while now, isn't it? I said to, what? Well, I was backstage at the comedy store, clang, with, um, with Charlie Baker and Paul McCaffrey. And we kind of started a roughly similar time. And I said, guys, it's, it's us. It's us. It's us now. And uh, that's a nice feeling. And then, you, and then obviously a 12-year-old open spot walks into the room and your heart breaks. But what I, what I ended up thinking was, it's weird. When you stay in it for as long as we have, people start sort of automatically respecting you. <laughs> you feel like if a younger comic is like, well, you know, you've been, you know, you, you're, a, you're a real expert. I've got this mate who always uh, tells me how great I am. He's a much newer act. And he's like, you know, you're a legend, mate. You're a legend. And I'm like, I'm not a legend. Can you stop respecting me? Because it makes me feel old. <laughs> so that's the message. Just, if you see me in the street, guys, just don't respect me. <laughs> I'll talk to you in the second half of my life. Oh, man. What was the... Well, there's a bit I add in, in the show in Like I Mean It that I've cut, which means I may save it, save it for another show. But um, maybe I even told you about it before. Just that idea that for all those birthdays, all the, like, 16, 17, 18-year-olds do worrying, oh, God, I'm getting old, I never realised if I could go back in time and tell myself one thing, it would be that don't worry, you and your mates all do this together. You all do it together. You all get your hearts broken together. You all panic about going to college or leaving college together. You panic about the world of work together. You, you know, someone gets married. You worry about marriage together. Then you'll get married together. And then one of you starts going bald. You all laugh at him together, Bennett. Um, <laughs> so, 
it, it, you know, and, I, and the conclusion of the bit, which I could never quite make work on stage, is that the thing I wouldn't tell my 16-year-old self is, although that is true, it doesn't really matter, because you never see your friends anymore anyway. Goldsmith out. No, I can't end it there. I can't end it there. Um, you do see your friends just a lot less. <laughs> and, and hey, here's a thing I keep meaning to point out. In much the same way as I feel I should frequently just randomly shout, wake up, eyes on the road, for those of you that listen to this whilst driving. Um, or run harder, to those of you who listen to this while running. Or, hey, time to relax, for those of you that listen in the bath. Something I always feel I should say is, hey, uh, other comedians who I gig with a lot, who are my friends, is there a way to say this without sounding needy? You know, you think we speak all the time because you listen to this? Just ring me. <laughs> Let's leave it. Let's leave it there. The pre-birthday pod. Guys, just pick up the phone, give me a ring. I, I'd ring you and I've got a baby. If you're a mate of mine and you listen to this show all the time and you think we hang out and you don't have a baby, can you pick up the phone and give me a ring? I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Speak to you soon, guys. I'll talk to you when I'm old. Bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.